So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me this morning to the book of James. comes right after the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Um, The book of James. And we're going to begin a new series of messages entitled Faith That Works. Faith That Works as we look at the book of James over these next number of weeks. And you're going to see why the title even this morning, I just want to begin by reading James chapter one and just verse number one. And then in a little bit, we're going to jump into um, um, verses two through eight this morning. But James chapter one, verse one says simply this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in those days, you didn't sign at the end of the letter. So you didn't have to figure out who was writing to you. Right. You, you put your name right at the beginning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Let's pray together. And so, Father, we do thank you this morning um, for the fact that um, Jesus is alive as we celebrated last week and that he continues to work in our lives and speak to us and that you, oh God, have given us your word, these epistles, even these letters that have come from the apostles to teach us and to speak to us even today that we might live the kind of lives that you've called us to be and understand who you are and all that Jesus has done for us. So I pray as we begin this study here in the book of James that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to say to us, hearts ready to receive. Bless your word to us this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I want to ask you this morning, When was the last time you took a close look at your life and asked, does my life match what I say I believe? Does my life match what I say I believe? When was the last time you really thought through the faith you claim to have and how it is you actually live your life? In fact, we might ask this morning, what does real faith look like? Is it merely praying a prayer? We talk about praying the prayer, right? Is it reciting some doctrinal statement that you've been taught? Is it just accepting the fact that, well, your parents, your grandparents believe in Jesus and thus, well, you too must be a Christian? Is it merely about being baptized? You see, that's what James is dealing with in his letter. What does it mean to have real faith? What does it mean to have what we we might call today a faith that works. Now, you see, as followers of Jesus, many of us know that we are, as the Apostle Paul wrote, saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, he says, but it is a gift of God. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote. And we're very thankful this morning. I know I am that in order to be forgiven of our sin, to receive the gift of eternal life, to enter into a relationship with God as our Heavenly Father, to receive the promise of heaven, to be what we call to be saved, we don't need to continually offer sacrifices in a temple or follow a strict and stringent law um, by which we somehow prove ourselves to God. That is, all we need to do is respond to the grace of God that's been shown to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and give ourselves to following him in faith. 
the Apostle Paul makes it very clear in his letters to the churches that we are justified. We are made right with God. We are saved by faith, by faith alone. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? You don't need to work it out. You don't need to prove yourself to God. But we do need to know that when the Apostle Paul wrote those words to the Romans and similar ones to the Galatians and elsewhere in his epistles, he was dealing with a very specific problem. That is, you see, there were Jewish believers who were trying to force Jewish law and customs on new Gentile believers, especially circumcision. They were saying, listen, if you're going to be saved, if you're going to go to heaven, if you're going to know God, then you not only put your faith in Jesus, well, you got to be circumcised. you got to keep your house kosher. you got to, you know, do all of the things the law calls you to. And the Apostle Paul writes to these churches to remind them that no amount of good works or adherence to a law is able to overcome our sin that only faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ is able to do that. And so, yes, Paul wrote, by grace, you're saved through faith. And obviously, obviously, James understood what that meant. And he understood what it meant to put one's faith in Jesus as the Son of God and Savior. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 1, he refers to the people to whom he was writing as believers in our, in, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And here at the beginning, which we just read, he calls himself a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would he become his Jesus' servant? Why? Because he had put his faith in him. He put his faith in Jesus and gave himself to serving him. But you see, when James wrote his letter, he had a different matter on his mind. That he was concerned with those who call themselves believers would then go on to live lives that actually, that actually proved or demonstrated their faith. He was concerned that they would not just declare faith in Jesus, that they wouldn't just give some mental assent to a doctrinal statement, but that they would actually prove their faith by how they live their lives. In fact, the key verse to the whole book of James is found in James chapter 2, verse 26, which says this, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds or without works is dead. We might say that this verse is the central thesis for James' whole letter, the, the hinge upon which everything else hangs. James is very direct when he says, faith without deeds or works, it is dead, it's useless, it's of no value. In other words, it doesn't save, it doesn't work. It doesn't work to say, well, I believe in Jesus, I have faith in Jesus, and then not go on to live a life that actually demonstrates that you have faith. And James was concerned that we would have a faith that is so real and so deep that it impacts the way we live our lives. For according to James, it's only that kind of faith, a faith that demonstrates itself in our daily living that leads to salvation. That is, only a faith that works is a faith that works. Or can I say that again? That only a faith that works is a faith that works. And I would propose to us today that we need to hear James' words to the church. Because I'm kind of afraid that for too long in too many churches of all kinds of denominations, we have people who have prayed the prayer 
or given assent to a doctrinal statement or even been baptized, but do not have a faith that works. That is, they have not gone on to live their lives in such a way that it demonstrates that they truly believe in who Jesus is and what he has done. You know, they say, oh, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And then they go on to live however they want to live. James would say, listen, it doesn't work that way. That real faith is going to show itself. It's going to manifest itself in the way you live. But not only that, but I'm concerned that, that, that the world around us is tired of hearing words of faith being spoken by those who call themselves followers of Jesus. This is what we believe. This is who we say God is. And yet not seeing our faith in action. And if we're going to make an impact on our world today, I believe more than ever before, the world around us, around us needs to see people who will live out their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. They need to see a faith that works. And so as we go through this series of messages from James' letter to the church, we want to see what it really means to live out our faith as followers of Jesus Christ, what it means to have a faith that works. Now, let me just share a few background thoughts with you just to give us some context here. Notice in the, in, in the first verse that we read, this letter is coming from James, who was the brother, or we might say the half-brother of Jesus. And early on, Jesus' brothers did not believe he was who he said he was. But after the resurrection, well, we know at least James came to be a believer, right? He recognized who Jesus was and is. And, and, and he soon became the head pastor, the lead pastor, we might say, of the church in Jerusalem, in fact, we know that he was martyred in A.D. 62, thus making this letter here most likely the first of all the epistles to have been written. And notice James writes it to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. That is, he's writing to Jewish believers who had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire following persecutions that had broken out in Jerusalem and Judea. We read in Acts 8.1, following the stoning of Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then over in chapter 11, verse 19, we read, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. And so we find James, the pastor of this scattered flock, writing a letter of instruction, sending a pastoral message to his church that's been dispersed throughout the empire. It's, you know, it's kind of like through this time of COVID beginning last year. The, the, you know, I felt as pastor, you know, the congregation got scattered. And I needed to find a way to communicate. And so, what, we're writing emails, and I'm, I'm posting videos. And, uh, you know, sometimes on a Saturday morning, I'm outside here in the parking lot. I'm doing a video. I'm like, I miss you guys. And, you know, here's what I want to encourage you with, you know. That's what James was facing. His church had been scattered. And so he writes this letter of encouragement and instruction to pastor his people. Well, I want you to pick up with me over in James chapter 1, beginning at verse number 2. And we're going to read through verse number 8 this morning. Where James continues his letter, he's saying this, or actually begins his letter after his salutation and greeting. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. 
whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like, is, is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so the Apostle James, he begins with this thought, and this is the title of our message today, that a faith that works is a faith that rejoices in tough times. A faith that works is a faith that rejoices in tough times. But James begins his letter with almost a shocking statement. I'm not quite sure I like it all that much. I don't think you do. When he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face many trials of many kinds. That word consider, it's not, well, just think about it. It's this. It literally means to hold it in high regard, to think of it with esteem. When he speaks of pure joy, he's saying, He's really talking about considering it or, or, or holding it in high regard and as a complete delight. Like, this is a delightful thing. He talks about facing trials of many kinds, and literally he's talking about when we find ourselves surrounded by all kinds of trials, by all the different kinds of difficulties that can come into our lives in all different forms, you know, illness, financial burdens, rejection by family and friends, broken relationships, and especially persecution for your faith in Jesus. In fact, the people to whom James was writing knew what it meant to be surrounded by all kinds of trials. They'd been uprooted from their homes. They had faced a threat to their lives, and that threat continued. All kinds of trials had surrounded them as they had to move out and move on and plant themselves in a new city as outsiders, as foreigners, as refugees. And how would they survive it all? More than that, how would this all affect their faith in Jesus after all, can't you picture some of them looking at the circumstances of their lives, feeling surrounded by trials and saying, listen, when I put my faith in Jesus and decided to follow him, this is not what I bargained for. I never, I never said, oh, yeah, I want to I have to flee from my life and go live as a refugee in another city. Maybe some were asking, is it really worth it to be a Christian? Well, James' response can be summarized in this way. When you find yourself in the midst of all kinds of difficulties, feeling as if you've been surrounded by the, all the hard things that life can bring your way, hold it in high regard and as a complete delight. Think of it as a really, really good thing when you find yourself surrounded by all kinds of trials. And I'm sure that their response, as would have been ours, is, what? What? James, what are you talking about? That makes no sense. How or why would I hold as a, as, as a good thing, a complete delight, all this pain and suffering that's come into my life? But James would say to us, listen, a faith that works is a faith that knows how to rejoice in the midst of the difficulties that life brings our way. And then he tells us why. He says the first reason is this. Trials lead, lead to perseverance. 
trials lead to perseverance. As we'll see throughout this letter, many of James' words are closely associated with Jesus' words in the Gospels. And as we read these words here, I can't help but think of Jesus' words when he said, he who endures to the end, he who perseveres, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Not he who prays the prayer, but he who endures to the end. In other words, according to Jesus, the one who has a saving faith is the one who's able to endure, persevere, stand firm through all the trials of life. James tells us that, in fact, it is the trials of life, though, that help to build in us the endurance or the perseverance that we will need as more trials come our way. It's almost a circular thought. Listen, it's like this big circle that we will need to have faith, have a faith that knows what it means to persevere, when in fact it's the trials of life that build in us the faith that's strong enough to persevere or to endure through such trials. It's, it's kind of circular, isn't it? Right? I kind of think of it like this way. The best illustration I could come up with, with for us this morning is a thought of resistance training. How many of you go to gym, the gym, and you use some resistance training, right? Where's Skylar this morning? You know, this is, a per- this is perfect for him, right? But listen, we begin with might be considered with what might be considered a small amount of strength. You have to have something, right? Otherwise, you're just kind of laying in bed. You have to have something. But you go to the gym, and you begin to, to use resistance through weights and dumbbells and, and maybe resistance bands, even your own body weight. Such that as time goes on, right, right, we are, we are building in ourselves greater and greater strength. The muscles are being ripped apart, and then as they grow back together, right, they are, they are stronger. And, and, and so we increase the amount of resistance, and, and, and we increase the amount of reps, right, and thus build even more strength. Without resistance, right, we never get stronger, There's got to be, like, the tearing of the muscles. There has to be pain. Even now, as I'm going through physical therapy for this back thing, right? Right? What are they doing? I'm going to physical. And and there's so much resistance that I have to go through. And then, oh, you're doing better. We can increase the tension on the resistance, man. We can increase the weight or whatever it is that you're using. And there's pain associated with it, but, but it's part of the, the healing and strengthening process. You know, we say it all the time, no pain, no, right? You see, you know it, right? Listen, the trials of our lives, James is telling us, are the resistance that's needed to build in us the faith strong enough to endure to the end. And for sure, how many of us know life is pretty good at throwing trials our way, Right? I mean, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? But through those trials, through that perseverance is built within us, that, that rather than throwing in the towel on our faith when hard things come our way, we're, we're now strong enough to be able to stand firm in our faith all the way to the end. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 5. We also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. He's talking about the maturing process. Or Peter writes this, 1 Peter 1, In all this you greatly rejoice, though, for, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
but these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, honor, and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. Listen, we as believers, we can rejoice when we face the trials of life. Why? Because we know they are the resistance training that we need to build in us a strong and enduring faith that we might endure all the way to the end. But the second thing that, that, that James tells us is this. Not only do, does, do the trials of life lead to perseverance, but then perseverance leads to maturity. James says that when perseverance does its work, it leads to us being mature, complete, not lacking anything. That word mature means reaching the end goal. Complete speaks of not being divided, completely whole, perfectly sound, not lacking anything. That is, nothing is left out, nothing is left behind. That is, he's saying to us, listen, as we go through the difficulties that life brings our way, not only do we get stronger, but we're being shaped into all that God intended for us to be. That is, we begin to achieve a wholeness and a completeness that we could not achieve otherwise. For you see, through the trials of life, God is working in us to lead us to his end goal, helping us to become all that we were meant to be, moving us towards that which he has designed for us, even eternal life. See, I think about of the illustration that we find in the Old Testament of the potter and the clay. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 64, Yet you, Lord our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. And like a potter pressing on the clay as it, as it spins on that wheel, it's like God is using the trials of our lives, the difficulties of our lives to apply pressure to us, to shape us, and to mold us into all that, that we were meant to be as we continue to trust God and believe in him and say, God, God, he takes the trials of our lives and he uses them to perfect us, to complete us, to make sure there's nothing lacking in us that we might be conformed even into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on, can you say amen this morning? Oh, God, God, I submit to you as my potter. And I allow you to take the trials of my life and use them to, to, to put pressure on me that you might shape me and mold me. You see, the one who has a faith that works is able to rejoice in the midst of all kinds of trials because they know that through them, God is at work in their lives, building strength and endurance and shaping them into all they ought to be, molding them even into the image of Christ their Savior so that in the end, they will lack nothing. They will lack nothing. But I want you to notice verse number five with me. Because, you see, James has just said that we will be mature, complete, not lacking anything. But then immediately after that, he says in verse number five, and if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, that's interesting. In fact, in the Greek, it's the same word. 
you're not going to lack anything. But if you do lack some, especially if you lack wisdom, why does he say that? And I think it's because of this. As, as we look at it, that when we find ourselves surrounded by the trials of life, the truth is we often don't know what to do, how to respond, how to react. And we might find ourselves, we just might find ourselves crying out to God, God, I need help. God, I need wisdom. Like, I don't know how to handle this. You tell me I should, I sh I should rejoice. You tell me that I should, I, should, I, I should live out your word, that I should continue to trust you. But I don't know how. I need wisdom. Listen, we will need wisdom from on high that we might respond, not according to our human nature, our human instincts, which how many of us know will, 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 will just naturally lead us towards sin. But, in, but we need wisdom that we might instead respond to what's happening in our lives according to godliness and righteousness. As one person wrote, we will need God-given understanding that enables us to avoid the path of wickedness and to live a life of righteousness. And thus James instructs us to ask God for that wisdom. When you find yourself going through those hard times, go to God and say, God, I need wisdom. I need to know how I should handle this. And in fact, he says, God will be more than glad to give you the wisdom you need. Notice God's not going to chastise you for what you lack, but rather he's going to respond to you generously or holding nothing back so that then, yeah, it's like James says, you'll lack nothing, but if you do lack wisdom, go to God and God will give it to you so generously you'll lack nothing. There's just one caveat in all of it. He says, but when you ask... You must believe and not doubt. That is, exert even the little bit of faith you have, believing that God will answer your prayer by giving you the wisdom you need to handle the trials of life. But how many of us know, like, listen, we don't always need big faith. Jesus says, listen, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, just a little bit of faith. And you exercise that faith, you can say to that mountain, go jump into the ocean, right? Just a little bit of faith. Sometimes we get caught up, we have to have big faith. No, just a little bit of faith. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this, without faith, it is impossible to please him, that is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's a very basic, simple faith. God, you exist. And you will answer the prayers of those who seek you. Very simple faith. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For e everyone who asks receives. And, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, it will be open. And so as we find ourselves surrounded by the trials of life, the hard things that come into our, our lives, there's a good chance that we won't know what to do or how to respond, how we ought to react. And if we're not careful, our human tendencies, our sinful nature will derail our faith and lead us into sin. And thus we go to God with faith in our hearts, asking him in faith for wisdom that we'll be able to navigate the storms of life. Let me ask you this morning, what difficulties or trials have you faced recently, maybe even this past year? I know I've gone through mine, right? Listen, for it's not been an easy year for any of us. 
But can you, can we believe that God is at work in our lives to accomplish something greater than we could ever ask for or imagine? Listen, we don't want to be those who claim to have faith in Jesus, but when the trials of life come our way, we give up on that faith. We throw in the towel on our faith, as so many have done. But rather, we want to be those who will continue to believe, who will see God's hand at work, who will continue in faith to the very end. For you see, a faith that works is a faith that continues to look to God through Christ, even in the midst of the trials of life, as they continue to believe him, to trust him, to live for him, believing that God is at work in our lives, in and through all things. A faith that works is able to rejoice in the trials of life, for it's a faith that says, in spite of the difficulties I see, in spite of all the difficulties that surround me, I believe, I will continue to believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That through his life and death and resurrection, he has overcome all things, including death itself. And thus I put my life into his hands. I will continue to trust him even to the end. A faith that works is a faith that one day will be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith, knowing that there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. There's an old song that came to my mind as I was preparing for this morning's message. Um, I asked Kim to just play it for us, but let me read the words to it. Song by Andre Crouch, back from the 70s. Some of you might know it. He writes, I had, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There's been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. He writes, I've been to lots of places. I've seen lots of faces. There have been times, but there have been times I've felt so all alone. Has it ever been you? But in my lonely hours, yes, those precious lonely hours, Jesus let me know that I was his own. And so he writes, I thank God for the mountains. I thank God for the valleys, and I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. For if I never had a problem... I'd never know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. And the chorus simply says, through it all.